Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Suze. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. We promise. (laughs) Cross our hearts. We also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention Criminal Minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. Gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. Just So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, buttercups. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Crime and Spirits, your new favorite podcast for cocktails and true crime. We are your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Sue. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We just absolutely love hanging out with you guys. It is truly the highlight of my personal week. Me too. It's been a rough one for us. It sure has. We're service workers. It's not been good. It was Valentine's Day this week. Plus income taxes. Oof. Just, yeah. And our draft beer system went down. I work in a corporate restaurant, for those mm. of you that don't know. Mm. Um, our draft beer specials are where it's at. Honestly, if I did not that work is there, true. I would be all about it. But <laughs> our whole system went down. There was a motor trying to run a pump. The pump went. The motor kept trying to run the pump. The motor then went. The motherboard is fried. The guy came in and tried to bypass it. It did work. But our beer was up to almost 60 degrees, which if you drink beer, oh, no. not good. <laughs> not great. I wish y'all could see both of our faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on top of that, it was Valentine's Day. We were busy. I worked three doubles last week. It was a mm. lot. <laughs> it's just been stress upon stress upon stress. So, Well, and then to top it off, guys, we have our new microphones today. Yay. So hopefully we're figuring shit out. Please give us some feedback on this one. We really want to know how it sounds in comparison to our previous episodes. I would say compare it to last week's. Specifically. Because I think we sounded pretty damn fine last pretty week. Pretty okay. I'll take that it. was with our old microphone in a blanket fort. <laughs> it was a fort. S- quite literally a fort of blankets. I enjoy forts. I love it. But this is much less stress. There are no blankets. It's just microphones. We're just and hanging out. chatting. I like it. We feel like we're on NPR. I do. I, I always think of that episode with Alec Baldwin and Sweaty Balls. Ooh, Alec Baldwin's in some trouble right now. But his that, that SNL with him and I think Molly Shannon or somebody, and he was like, we're talking about Sweaty Balls. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's super funny. Well, I'm just happy to be here because despite all the stress around the microphones and all the... All that stuff, I think that we're getting there. 
I hope so. Let's cross <laughs> our fingers and toes. We did some testing and all of the things. So we're just going to move on and we're going to cross our fingers like Sue said. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to get back into our episode and our story for the week because we've got part two of the Lorena Bobbitt story here for you. Like we said, it's quite a doozy. Oh my God. So really quick recap for you just in case you need it. We've got Lorena Gallo meeting John Bobbitt while she was attending college in the U.S. Originally from Venezuela, Lorena wanted nothing more than her own slice of the American dream. She thought her marriage to John, who was a Marine at the time, would be a huge stepping stone in the right direction for her. Ooh. Yeah, unfortunately, things did not work out that way, and the marriage quickly dissolved into something incredibly toxic and abusive. One night after hitting a breaking point, Lorena grabbed a knife and proceeded to cut off the part of her husband's body that was hurting her the most. You guessed it, folks. That would be his penis. John made it to the hospital while while Lorena reported what happened and an investigation ensued. Before they knew it, Lorena and John Bobbitt became household names. Now, last episode, we went over the relationship between Lorena and John. We talked about how we got to this point, like... How did we get to Lorena driving like the Fast and Furious away from her home, still clutching her husband's body part in her hands? I know, and it's not really funny, but I can't stop myself from having the visuals of it and just being appalled by it. (laughs) Right. And also giggling a smidge. Right, because as we mentioned last time, we are just not mature enough for this. Mm -mm. (laughs) So this episode, we're going to be picking up right where we left off. We're going to get into the infamous reattachment surgery. We're going to get into the trials and what John and Lorena have been up to the last 30 years. Woof, 30 years. Goodness gracious. I know. I don't want to talk about that. We're going to forget that I said that. Right. Just blank that out of your brains, people. (laughs) Delete, delete, delete. So we do want to give you a heads up. Like always, this case requires the discussion of domestic violence and rape. We'll also be talking about the castration itself and the medical procedures surrounding it, which were quite extensive and cutting edge from what I've heard. (laughs) Cutting edge. (laughs) I I didn't even mean to do that. (laughs) Um, One other thing we'd like to warn you about before getting started, our obvious bias in this case. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to fully disclose that we believe that John was absolutely abusing Lorena and that the castration was a direct result of that. That is the lens through which we are telling this story. We don't condone what she did to him in any way, shape, or form. We're just of the belief that he's not the only victim in this case. We aren't going to allow that bias to prevent us from giving you guys all the facts and possibilities, like always. Um, We make sure to tell John's side of the story as well. Like we mentioned last time, we discussed this before starting the production of these two episodes. We recognize that our biases may come out during our discussions. You know, Susan and I have kind of clued you guys into the fact that we have some personal experiences that may color our personal opinions when it comes to the cases that we're discussing, but we do our best to give you guys factual information that paints the whole picture. So without further ado, I'm going to need you guys to buckle up and sip tight because it's a wild ride from here on out. As always. But first, (laughs) we need our cocktail. Absolutely. So... This week, we're going to change things up just a little bit and make the original idea that I had for a martini, a Valentine's Day dessert martini. Again, we started this saga last week with the banana split martini because I sure do love a good tongue-in-cheek joke. I thought it was hilarious. The drink was delicious. I'm not seeing a downside here. It was fantastic. And all of the text messages, I don't think I've typed penis in like a message as many times as I have 
since doing this case. It was kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my original idea before everything started was to make a chocolate-covered strawberry or cherry dessert martini. I was sort of struggling with it, though, because I was honestly unsure whether strawberry-flavored booze was a thing. I had never really had it. I hadn't really gone looking for it before. <laughs> so I was like, mm. Not your cup of tea, Well, and I'm not a huge fan of cherry vodka. One too many cherry bombs mm. at the age of, like, 21. Uh, I don't like cherry-flavored anything, mm-hmm. to be honest. Other than Luxardo cherries, maraschino cherries now taste like trash to me she has been changed forever folks there's that um i have seen i was just at the liquor store today they have some pennsylvania dutch strawberries and cream liqueur but it did not look good it looked sort of like strawberry milk in like a very generic labeled bottle it might be delicious i could be missing out but okay why do i want us to try that though now we should okay so we have this idea to do like a series for like social media of like sh- different shots and just weird shit that we should put that on the list. Yeah, because I, I kind of want to try it now. You didn't ones, talk me out of it. They're the ones that sell like the flask size bottles of eggnog flavored liqueur at the okay. checkout during Christmas. It's I know the what same you're talking brand. about. Yeah, so okay. I'm like, it could be great. It could be absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Apparently, it's on our list to find out and let you know. <laughs> It has been added to the list. <laughs> um, we did figure with these two different parts of the story bookending Valentine's Day, we should just make something sweet, desserty. Not only are both of the drinks delicious, but honestly, they're super easy. If you yeah. really aren't feeling a martini or don't have the glassware, this drink would be great served in a rocks glass with, over ice as well. We just felt fancy. We had a martini glass. Why the hell not? You know. Well, and Sue's actually has a rocks glass. I do. She just it, doesn't have it over ice. I don't. But but I did swirl the glass with chocolate. <laughs> ice we've learned is not conducive to podcasting, so we do try to avoid that in our own beverages that we're sipping at the yeah, very least. Actually, listening back to some of our old episodes, it just sounds like fucking Thunderdome. So, <laughs> but I chilled Accurate. it and strained it, so it sounds or it tastes delicious. All right, so just like last week, we're using the Pinnacle Whipped Vodka, the Light Cream to Cocoa, and Half and Half. This week, we're deleting the banana liqueur completely and swapping it out for Strawberry Smirnoff Vodka. Keep in mind, this recipe calls for two different vodkas, so this cocktail will be a little more strengthy than the last one. Um, The Smirnoff does taste just like a strawberry and only a little bit like vodka. Ooh. I I took it a little swizzle just to be sure that I was yeah. not like putting paint thinner strawberry style into our drinks or something, <laughs> you know. Oh no. I don't want to give you something caca. No rot gut here. Um, I was gonna buy us like strawberries and cover them in chocolate and be all fancy for like the garnish, but honestly, the grocery stores are just robbing people blind for strawberries right now. They're like five dollars a pint. They jack it up for Valentine's well, Day. Well, and we get them at work. We have a specialty salad that calls for strawberries Mm, yep they look beautiful big red strawberries they taste like nothing yep absolutely nothing um i did have this afterthought if you would like to add grenadine to your drink to make it red Mm. feel free it will sweeten it up a little bit because grenadine has very low alcohol okay and it's very sweet it's like a kind of simple syrupy basically at least in its consistency it is it's more syrup than liqueur but if you if you want to add it feel free it'll make it a pretty like pink color Mm. if you add more it'll make it red whatever blows your hair back um so just like last week we put our martini glass in the freezer to get it nice and frosty just before pouring the drink itself, you'll want to swirl the chocolate syrup around your glass. It looks good. It tastes good. So I highly recommend it. 
Just take your shaker tin, fill it with ice, add in one ounce of each of the vodkas, one ounce of the light cream de cocoa, and one and a half ounces of plain half and half, again, dependent on your glassware. This recipe worked out pretty great for us. Um, just shake all that thoroughly until it's well combined and chilled, and then strain it into your glass, and that is that. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. It's good, right? Just like a hint of mm -hmm. strawberry. Mm -hmm. You always have to worry, I feel like, with flavored vodkas sometimes because it's so easy to taste artificial. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, and the, I think, in my opinion, keeping the whipped in this concoction mm -hmm. sort of like takes the edge off. I agree. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get it. There's like a hint of chocolate, a hint of strawberry. A hint of like whipped cream. It's just glorious. Mm, that's delicious. Yes, we're winning. Heck yeah, we are. All right, so let's get into things. When we last left the Bobbits, Lorena had just got off her husband's penis. She then jumped into her car and headed towards her workplace. On the way, she realized that she was still holding said penis and the knife that she used to do the cutting. She threw the penis out the window. Just... <laughs> Got it right out of there, near Seven Eleven. Just lobbed it over the roof of the car. <laughs> exactly Again, that. what a visual. <laughs> Goodness Ugh. gracious. And then she just proceeds to the salon, which was owned by her BFF and employer, Jana, which you might remember from last time. When she saw that Jana wasn't there, she kind of has like a few moments where she panics, but she realizes that she can't go inside because she's holding the knife. And she's got blood on her hands. Neither one of those are a good thing, everybody, just in case you <laughs> didn't know that. PSA. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This incense smells really good. It's literally, like, in my face. I have to move it. Sorry, guys. Whoa. Don't burn the plastic. I bought some new incense. Our local magical goods store started rolling their own. And they're naming it after what we do in the shadow. Oh, my God. I'm characters. And I got the unrelenting Nandor. I'm sorry. It's so good. Laszlo's hat is where it's at. That's also really it good. It smells like leather. And while I and gloriousness. generally enjoy bathing in incense today, no, it's just not a little much. Directly in your eyeballs. So. <laughs> anyway. When she realized that she had said knife in hand, she just tossed it in a garbage can that was like outside of the door of the salon. And she just heads to her friend's home. Keep in mind, it's like what three four o'clock in it the morning is. at this it's point it's very early morning slash late at night depending on what hours you keep either mm -hmm. way like nobody's around really to see this right unfortunately it she is was still dark out not like, in the right mind as we already probably know I and mean, we will learn more about later obviously <laughs> um during this time john is having his own struggles in case you <laughs> had not figured out that little caveat to the story um, in a later interview, he said that at first he didn't know she cut it off. That's a direct quote. Didn't know she cut it off. <laughs> that she, quote, did it so fast and ran so fast. I thought maybe I saw a little bit of her in my peripheral running out the bedroom door. But I looked down and there was blood everywhere. End quote. Ugh. He really did a great job at painting a picture. Ugh. Ugh. Cringy. Yeah. Um, he, not a pretty picture. Not, a, not even remotely. <laughs> Very accurate, though. <laughs> um, he did manage to get himself out of bed. He put some pants on. He then went to wake up his friend because, of course, for some fucking reason, if you don't remember, this guy just had a revolving door of other people staying at their house. Literally constantly. From All the time. The week after they got married. 
to like forever to like present yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um and those two uh the friend winds up driving john to prince william hospital fast i'm sure very quickly <laughs> um i read somewhere though that the friend stopped to brush his teeth first so i found that kind of funny i feel as though they had been out drinking the night before so mm-hmm. his teeth probably felt like crusty butts yeah. but still i don't know if somebody's bleeding from their penis region <laughs> i'd be like oh my god well i mean he was probably also drunk you know what i mean so he probably wasn't even like in he also probably wasn't in the proper state of mind to be like oh i have to leave the house gotta brush my teeth right i just who knows if that's oh, actually no. true or not but I mean, that would be what i would do honestly <laughs> the obvious instinct here so keep in mind guys that in the background during john getting himself to the hospital the police are starting to come into play now i'm sure you guys can only imagine what the police radio chatter was like that night huh. it was a lot of uh avoidance police were hesitant to disclose a lot of information over the radio there was at least one officer that answered the initial call from the hospital so like to set the scene for you the hospital staff is like whoa this whole thing just happened (laughs) police officer gets down there and then he calls dispatch and he's like hey we need some help and he stated quote this guy walked into prince william hospital he was uh he was assaulted by his wife it might uh, y'all need to send somebody over there, end quote. I just thought it was really interesting to see how much they, like, danced around saying... Med- medical professionals see so much disgusting stuff. Mm-hmm. My mother worked in a nursing home for almost 40 years. Right. The stories she has. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there are a lot of gross things that happen in the medical field. So you'd think, like, a penis is not... Well, I mean, is so... That's true, but does that carry over for police officers? I don't know. You would think. They're trained to be, like, in dealing their defense. with naked, crazy people and all sorts of other stuff. I don't often enjoy defending police officers, but I will say that one specifically mentioned that they didn't want to say anything for fear that, like, uh, news reporters, journalists, somebody was listening on the radio. Well, on, Cell phones weren't a thing at this time. Well, Keep on, that yeah, in mind definitely. also. Back then, it wasn't like you could check Twitter for the latest news. <laughs> right. You listened to the police scanner. My right. papa was a volunteer firefighter. He had one in his mm-hmm. dining room for as long as I could remember. My parents thought they were just cool and had, like, trucker names with all their friends. It was oh, a thing. That's weird. They were, like, CB people. Is that what it was called? Yeah, CB radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a whole thing. Just for no... That's a random memory from my childhood. We're going to get back to that. Mm -hmm. Unpack that in therapy. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Put put that on the list. (laughs) So that is part of the reason why they didn't want to give any, like, super revealing information. And plus, I mean, they were all just kind of figuring out what was happening together. So this officer didn't have any other further, like, information. Dispatch was like, do you know what his name is? And he's like, no way, bro. Like... He's in a lot of pain. John wasn't really answering questions, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the officer finally says, look, an officer is requesting that you send another officer out there to the ER. Dispatch asked, did the victim lose a body part? And this officer responded with, quote, I don't know how much damage has been done. It evidently must have been quite a bit. Apparently, the hospital needs it ASAP to try and salvage the man's dignity. 
Mm. So that's one way of saying it. I thought that was creative. Dispatch eventually sent officers Dan Harris and John Tillman to the hospital, and when they arrived on scene, they were promptly filled in on the situation. The other officer said, you're not going to believe this. This guy's wife pulled his dick off. Oh, my God. Not afraid to use dick there, but dignity is what we say over the radio. (laughs) Right. Oh, okay. So, meanwhile, obviously, John is being seen by the ER doctor. According to an ABCnews.com article, the doctor's jaw dropped when he saw John's injury for the very first time. Realizing the severity of the situation, they called in a urologist, Dr. James Sen. I think that's how it was said. I had Google say it to me like four million times. He was the one that was very excited in the documentary. Yes. Okay. Right. He He wasn't all smiles. (laughs) He wasn't given much information. All he knew was that a penis had been amputated and that the organ was (laughs) M-I-A. During an interview, he speaks about seeing the aftermath of what happened to John and what that was like. He said, quote, it was kind of an out-of-body experience. It really takes your breath away to see this kind of disfigurement, end quote. (laughs) He also mentioned how calm John was throughout the whole experience. He described him as, quote, surprisingly calm, as if he didn't even understand the extent of this injury and what the implications of it might be, end quote. I mean, that checks out. He was in shock. In shock. A part of his body was missing. Like, and come on, doctor. He had lost a lot of blood from everything that mm-hmm. we've read. So there's that. You know what I mean? He probably didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, ex- <laughs> truly. <laughs> exactly that. When asked about it directly, John told ABC that he, quote, had a lot of faith, end quote, that everything would work out. You'd have to. At well, that what point. other op? Ooh. <laughs> What other option is there? Right. Oh, no. (laughs) So while performing the examination, Dr. Sen was able to see that John had lost a third of his blood volume. So like Sue said, (laughs) a lot of blood had been removed from his body. At this point, he knew that he had to call in some reinforcements. And this is where microvascular surgeon Dr. David Berman comes into play. Microvascular surgeon. Yeah. My mind is boggled that somebody knows enough to perform surgery on tiny little veins and things. I know. I'm like astonished. I couldn't even imagine. No. Nor do I want to. Mm -mm. (laughs) I don't like, I don't care for medical stuff myself. Yeah, no. But... I'm so good. So he, too, was awoken in the middle of the night and was told by hospital staff that they, quote, got this guy here whose penis had been cut off. Can you come down and basically put it back on? And he was like, sure. Do do you have the penis? And at that time, they did not, in fact, have the penis. And this is because police hadn't found Lorena yet. They didn't actually know what happened to it. Mm-hmm. Right. They had no idea. They just knew that this dude, somehow, some way, his penis was, was no longer it. a part of his body <laughs> and it was missing in action. Wouldn't that be some shit? Uh. <laughs> so when Dr. Berman showed up, he and Dr. Shen began discussing the situation at hand. Meanwhile, Officer Harris made a phone call on the radio, or not a phone call, a call on the radio and said, we need someone to come to the hospital to get a key and go look for the appendage. Um, A crime scene tech named Cecil Dean showed up for the key and had an investigation of the apartment 
that's basically where it began. Yeah. We got the key. Now we can get in, at least figure out if maybe it's just laying there somewhere. Well, and now they, like, know where to go to look also. Right. So a little bit more information was gathered. They had more than they had with just a guy with no wiener. <laughs> Long story short. Stop it. So according to Cindy Leo, who is a, was, is, I think she might still be. Yeah. I can't I'm remember. Honestly, not sure. I couldn't find anything that said like definitively um at the time a crime scene tech uh there was a lot of blood it was kind of everywhere there was some in the parking lot it was on the sidewalks the stairs leading up to the apartment in addition to what was in the living room and of course in the bedroom on the bed you were actually able to see a butt imprint that held about an inch deep puddle um, again, I don't know if you guys were here last week, but if you were not, John was quite intoxicated at the time he was cut initially. So oh, yeah. he laid on the bed for a minute, a while at first, maybe not knowing what was going on. So your blood is thinner when you're intoxicated. Right. That means it's flowing a little easier. Mm-hmm. Hence the... Inch. The massive amount of blood loss that took place. It was caca. You on can... top of where the injury took place. Well, and if you're just laying there... <laughs> It's shock. Shock will do it mm-hmm. to you. Absolutely. Every single time. So Officer Tillman begins his search in the bedroom. He uses his flashlight to illuminate the area around him. He cannot see a penis anywhere. <laughs> and investigators began to wonder, I don't know why they would go down this track I first, know. but did she swallow it? <laughs> that was your first thought? I mean, not that we haven't seen that here at Crime and Spirits, but... <laughs> right. Just saying. It just seems like an interesting leap. Right. Like, oh, it's not in the bedroom. For she your, clearly swallowed it. For your very first idea. Not that she took it or hid it. He didn't or... even look anywhere else yet. Right. <laughs> he was just like, oh, it's not in here. Oh, no, she must she have She must have it. swallowed it. Put it in a smoothie. <laughs> smoothie though also we've seen that too (laughs) maybe not penises but close enough so he ponders for a moment and then he moves his search into the kitchen and he was checking everywhere he could think of you know like your typical places freezer garbage disposal dishwasher just the usual places that people put body parts i guess he's goddamn lucky she did not put it down the garbage disposal Mm. there would have been not a prayer for that right Penis Honestly, meets steel? No. The way things went down is like I feel like ideal for him. Best case scenario for John in this in this particular situation. Obviously, it would be preferable that it didn't happen in the first place. Well, but I mean that would be option. That's one. not the reality <laughs> we live in. So of course they didn't find what they were looking for because we all know where it's at. But they did come across some pamphlets discussing like rape and domestic abuse and. Fun fact, this was actually given to her by a neighbor who was trying to encourage Lorena to leave. Now, Suze, do you remember when we were watching the documentary and it was an Awake magazine? And mm-hmm. I was like, those are Jehovah's Witnesses pieces yep. of paper. And I was curious as to why that speci- – it's such a specific publication. So I was like, why that? That neighbor was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh. So she actually – like, Lorena had an actual, like, Awake magazine. Brie literally was like, that's – Jehovah paraphernalia <laughs> and I was like Wait, what? pretty much and she was like the magazine because I think it was a crime scene photo that they showed us mm-hmm. and I was like awake like what yeah. is that and she was like it's Jehovah yep awake and, like, and oh, watchtower no. yeah. oh I've heard of the watchtower it's what they drop off to your guys's house when they harass you 
I haven't done it in a while because of the pandemic. I had heard that they had started that back up again. I'm part of a subreddit that's uh, two of them, actually, XJWs and Cult Survivors. That has been immensely helpful in my healing from all of that. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. So I thought that was just... I feel as though one of my aunts is a Jehovah's Witness. Right. One of my family members. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though I've seen Watchtower. Oh, yeah. heard of it somewhere. You definitely have. So I just found that was kind of interesting because when we were watching the documentary before I dug into the script and everything came full circle. At least so I just wanted to mention it. The neighbor was trying to help. Yes, very much so. Because Lorena had disclosed what had happened um, previous to the cutting. Well, and I believe from from the documentary, at least, a lot of the neighbors were like, mm, that guy was trouble. Yes. They had problems, but it was him. Like, mm -hmm. all of the neighbors that we saw in the documentary were like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Very much on the same page regarding all of that. So it definitely adds to the scene of the crime, you know, because, you know, look at it from Tillman's perspective. All they know is that this dude has been assaulted pretty much by his wife. <laughs> and now they go to the scene of the crime, and now they find this, like, literature. I don't know. I just think it paints an interesting story for where we go from here. One, I'm going to assume this was probably the first event like this that these officers had been involved yeah, in. So likely. Like, where do you even start? Where it's do you start? It's not like start? there's a protocol for that. It's not right. like this is a murder. We investigate X, Y, Z. That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know where you would start when somebody's penis That she swallowed off. it. Yeah. That was well, <laughs> obviously serious. Very clearly. Duh. So... At this point, the radio chirps again, and they are alerted that Lorena was at the police station. Now, according to her, she and Jana went there with the intention of reporting the abuse and alerting the police to what had happened. And the police were all like, we'll get to that, but first, where is the penis? Well, because it's like with any sort of amputation, be it a right. finger, a toe, an arm, they can maybe save it. Right. If you get to it quick enough. You right. know what I mean? It's not like it can sit out there for days and then you can just hook it back up. It's That's totally not how that fine. works. Psh, whatever. <laughs> no, but for real. So once she relayed the chain of events that like got her t got her there, there was a small search party that headed over to the 7-Eleven. Not specifically that like business. But in that area, because that's where Lorena, you know, lobbed the thing right out the window. I think she said she stopped at a stop sign, saw the 7-Eleven, was like, what, what is happening? Because she couldn't and turn the car because mm -hmm. both of her hands were full. She couldn't turn at the stop sign. Yeah. <laughs> and so she was like, oh, no. Both ah. of her hands were indeed full. <laughs> I just can't get over it. Oh, my God. The way she tells it. We're painting it, it like a cartoon. It's yeah. not a cartoon. It's people's lives. Well, I mean, but, there's. I don't think there's any way to tell that particular part of the story without it sounding cartoonish, because it is. It is. Like, let's it's, just be real about ridiculous. it. This is, like, uh, fantastic in the way that, like, it's just absolutely crazy that this happened in the first place. Oh, Let for alone sure. that it blew up to the point where us and several many other <laughs> True Crime podcasts cover this like Talking crazy. Talking all about it. You know? So... They were very concerned that they weren't going to be able to find it, and luckily, it didn't take more than a few minutes before Sergeant Willard Hurley found the appendage. Now, he refused to pick it up or touch it in any way, and 
<laughs> when he asked where it was, Hurley just pointed to it. Now, allegedly, this man was extremely religious, and he did not want to put his hands on it. Also, an officer claimed that he heard that Hurley had actually stepped on it, and that's how he found it. How so. would you know? <laughs> right? It would probably feel weird under your foot. What if it's a gopher, though? Does a gopher feel like a penis when you step on it? <laughs> These are the real questions. I really want to know now. Sue's here asking the hard shit. I'm just saying. Hard-hitting questions for you guys. I would love to know. And if Willard Hurley ever wants to share his experience with us, I'd be here for it. Absolutely. But in the meantime, a volunteer firefighter took one for the team and retrieved the penis. And then they went to the 7-Eleven and they put the appendage and some ice in a hot dog bag and they hightailed it back to the hospital. I mean, they were resourceful. You know, those hot dog bags are like foil. Yeah. Or they were back in the day to keep mm-hmm. the heat in. But in this instance, it would keep the cool yeah. in. Yeah. So, okay. Smart choice. I see you. I'm not Boy judging them. of America. I mean, there. that was some quick thinking. <laughs> oh, for sure. I would never have thought of that. No, me I'm neither. Not lie. That's why we're not police officers no. or volunteer firefighters. Oh, heck no. Not that I don't have the utmost respect for you. Oh, absolutely. But, like, I would be like, Duh. Firefighters especially. Running into burning buildings mm-hmm. and shit. Yeah. Nope. Couldn't do it. I'm nervous. I get scared. <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> so anyways... They got there just in time. John was literally being wheeled into surgery. The doctors had quite a task ahead of them. This was not only an extremely delicate procedure, but it simply had to work. There were no other options. No, there were no second chances. It's none of that. It's this or nothing. The surgery itself took nine hours to complete, and it was quite successful. Um, Dr. Berman said that he had never seen a penile replantation that they were very rare, and that this was actually his first time. I love he it. Was, he was a penile replantation virgin. Stop it. A virgin, y'all, with a penis in his hand. Okay, great. That, I'm not... I had to make a joke no. because it's uncomfortable and weird. But it just is. imagine all of the blood vessels that he had to tie back together. Like, Well, okay, and if you guys decide to watch the, document, the documentary Lorena... Like, which I 10 out of 10 would recommend. Absolutely. They literally show you a picture of it. And mm-hmm. Susan and I, we were not we prepared were like, for no, that. What is happening? <laughs> we exclaimed it very loudly. My boyfriend is like, was that the penis? Like, I was like, I think it was. <laughs> I don't know, though. They Granted, they just sort of flash it on the screen for like 30 seconds. But not I was like, what oh, I, Not what? what I pictured. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> me either. <laughs> I was like, what in the Sam Hill is happening on television right now? We were very bothered. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever. At least they... Pre- it is really interesting. They gave us all of the information. Yeah. It is a very interesting procedure, in, considering that it was one of the f- one of the few that has been successful. Well, I don't... They talk about replacing people's lips and faces and right. hearts and livers, and I'm just like... <laughs> what <laughs> it's just mind-boggling to me all of it but I this agree. specifically because it's such a sensitive an outlier kind of in the world yeah. of these things mm-hmm. also i don't feel like this happens that often so it makes sense that this doctor was like never done this before let's just jump on in <laughs> yeah, you know right. him and, and a urologist just very excited urologist he was way too into the i get it though i mean this was probably a really big 
Oh, I'm like, sure gold star on his He resume. probably wrote so many papers on this mm-hmm. and informed so many other people about this. So like, I hey, did you hear that. about this? But I literally, when I saw his smile, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of off-putting. He's Well, urology is a very specific thing also. Yeah. So I get it. You don't. You might not have that much to be excited about. Something like this comes across <laughs> once in a blue moon. Got to right? take your wins where you get right? them, I guess. So Dr. Berman did go on to say, quote, I had done a lot of microsurgeries, so I'd put a lot of fingers back on. And it was just this particular application was different, end mm-hmm. quote, very clearly. In a later interview, Dr. Berman said that this case remains the most interesting and dramatic case I've ever done in my life. It kind of really blew a lot of people's imaginations away with what could be done, which is, I could see that, like we said. Oh, for sure. So John was told about the outcome once he woke up from anesthesia. He was overjoyed to have a normal functioning penis, which I could only under, I could only I could imagine. Only imagine. <laughs> he said, "Quote: It was the happiest day of my life. It's like wow. It's like opening Christmas presents on Christmas Day, and you're a little kid. So I was excited. A lot to unpack there, but you know, moving moving along." <laughs> Susan's mm. face, though. John was a little kid, eh? I guess. Penis I mean, kid. I don't know. We don't have them, so I guess we no, can't it's really. True. I can't. You know, relate to know. being obsessed with their part. I don't know. I don't know a lot of women who are really obsessed with their boobs, but I know that there are some. So maybe it's like that. I don't know. I'm not gonna try to pick I'm just that apart. Sip on my drink and mm-hmm. listen to Brie talk. <laughs> So John was moved to the ICU after the surgery, and this happened for two reasons. One, obviously, so he could be monitored. It was a very delicate surgery, a lot to pay attention to after the fact as far as recovery goes. The surgery was kind of just half the battle, if you will. And the second reason was so it would keep people away from him. Keep in mind that Lorena was in the same building as John telling her side of the story. And the reason she was at the hospital in the first place was to have a rape kit done. You know, she told police about John raping her throughout the marriage and that the more she fought, the more he liked it. Before we move into the media frenzy that led up to the trials and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to mention one thing. So I listened to Susan. I kind of approach researching these things in very different ways. She does the bulk of she does all of the research and I just kind of spend my time like watching docs or listening to podcasts. My favorite podcast is Killer Queen's podcast. I've talked about them before. So I've listened to their episode like when it came out. So I went and checked out their blog because they have a blog post associated with every episode. And in this, they mentioned this and I hadn't seen it anywhere else, but I thought it was just awful. So of course I needed to add it. John's brother, Todd, was at the hospital with John, of course. And he said that he would have killed Lorena if he had seen her at the hospital. And it seems like they knew they were there because according to the Killer Queens, they went looking for her, like, in the hospital. Oh, I don't doubt that they did. I've seen footage of them. They are very angry people who have no other place to put their anger other than on her. It was scary to read. He was quoted saying, she did worse than kill him. She took away the thing that means the most to a man. You're 
I don't know. You're telling me that's worse than being dead? That's what... Okay, again, like, we don't have them, so I don't really understand it, but, like... Guys, let me know. Can you guys weigh in on this? And let Would me you rather know? be dead? Really? Yeah. That's wild. I know. Hmm. I mean... I don't know. I just think that, like, without a life, you wouldn't be able to have your penis in the first place. So, like, one kind of begets the other, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> yes, to me. Apparently not to Todd. Or many, many, many other men at the time. They just sort of look like they want to fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. Him and his brothers were on a lot of talk shows, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But they just look like they wanted to, like, flip furniture over or something. Like, you know what I mean? Awful, awful humans. Mm. So... From here, Lorena is arrested. She is charged with malicious wounding. Jana actually wound up hiring a lawyer on Lorena's behalf, as well as a media manager, which (laughs) is weird, in case you're wondering. (laughs) The lawyer makes sense, right? But why a a media rep? What? What is this, Hollywood? I know, right? Such Mm. a weird thing. Well, that's because every single publication journalist, news anchor, person on the street, (laughs) everybody in between wanted a piece of this story. Like, whoa. Like, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to take a shower because, ew. Like, obviously, we are interested by true crime and the trials and all these things, but, like, I feel like there is such a line. And it's a fine line to walk, but it exists. And the people surrounding this trial was on the way they they ramped it up into like obsession it was gross i was like watching the documentary and the people outside of the courtroom that they were interviewing and Mm -hmm. i was like yeah why would you air that and then i was like (laughs) oh my god they must have talked to a hundred people before that that had worse things to say i was gonna say either one way or another think about what their choices were i know um so All in all, it was captivating to the public. They were obsessed, some more than others. Literally the morning after the incident itself, journalists were tracking Lorena down. And it was like wildfire. This case permeated pop culture like, what? Dr. Berman basically became a famous person overnight due to his work on the surgery. Every key player in this case was getting bombarded like crazy, so Jana thought probably for the benefit of everybody that having someone take care of all that nonsense on Lorena's behalf was probably a smart move from the gate. I think Jana also realized that the language barrier barrier would not play in Lorena's favor and it would be very easy for the prosecution to manipulate things that she maybe have said because while she had definitely said some of the things that we're going to go over I think that it was important that the to understand like the meaning behind it could is not the same as like the face value of the words oh for sure i get it oh well especially back then like again we watched the documentary i'm sorry to keep going back to it oh it was so good though they interview present day lorena pretty much Mm -hmm. i mean within the last couple years she's so well spoken Mm -hmm. she's so calm and mellow but back then she's not only hysterical she's an Mm -hmm. abused wife she's been through trauma she's now in the spotlight like basically thrust into it like shot like a cannon into (laughs) crazy famous people status that's a really good way to put it too it's just bananas Mm -hmm. because it literally happened overnight yeah So fast forward two months, and it's the arraignment. 
during which a tape-recorded conversation between Lorena and a detective is played. And this is a perfect example of what we were just talking Mm -hmm. about. So they also read part of the transcripts during the arraignment. And they were trying to show how Lorena just did this out of anger and for superficial reasons. Because she was quoted saying, He always orgasmed first, and he never waits for me to have an orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pull back the sheets, and then I did it. And if you guys remember from last week, like, we got another quote from her about what her mindset was like in that moment. Like, she wasn't thinking clearly when not it was happening. Remotely. She had just been assaulted. Of course not. There's no way. Like, I picture this like a mid-rant kind of thing. Because, you know, like, when you get going, you start pulling shit that doesn't even really fucking matter why you're pissed. And then you're like, well, and on top of it, well, he did X, Y, and Z. And if you have a law intern reading through all of the transcripts mm-hmm. of every interview, they can pinpoint and cherry pick which parts exactly they want to sort of highlight versus including like the whole paragraph if you will right yep 1000 percent and you know like we said on the surface that sounds really bad and the prosecution you know seemed kind of like maybe they have a point but then the defense reminds the court lorena was not profession proficient in speaking the english language and it was hard to understand her when she was under duress she just kind of talked just English is my first language. Mm -hmm. I took five years of Spanish in high school. I had a professor or a teacher. He married a woman from Colombia, I think. He spoke Spanish proficiently. Mm -hmm. And when he got going, I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't. Yeah, I don't. And that was, granted, it was his second language, but I was like, I don't know what well, you're saying. And okay. I can't like, keep up. In that when same, he got passionate about something. Yeah. And not, not necessarily angry or upset. Well, which passion comes instance, up through in a lot But of I was ways. like, what? I think it's also worth noting that the English language is really fucking difficult to learn, even as your first language. I have so much respect for anybody who learns this as a second, third, fourth, whatever, because it's difficult and doesn't make sense to a lot of us who have like grown up in this country sometimes if i don't have autocorrect on my phone or my laptop i'm like what the fuck was i trying to say <laughs> like if i accidentally turn it off i'm yeah. like what were those words that i was just typing because <laughs> i did, did I stroke out or something fun story <laughs> i had to take a typing class in eighth grade mm. and it was on those big bubbly macs with the pretty like blue and purple backs like all the, like the neon fluorescent ones mm-hmm. Not only did we play Oregon Trail, we learned how to type proficiently. I'm oh a badass God, Oregon typer. Trail. But sometimes my brain gets going faster than yeah. my fingers can keep up. And I'm like, wait, that's hibbity-jibbity nonsense. <laughs> my favorite is when I forget, like, I hit the space bar, but I don't hit it hard enough. And it's just all, like, one word. One big, <laughs> like, gigantic what word. What even's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nope. Nonsense. Ugh. So anyways, meanwhile, the DA, Paul Ebert, was getting some shit from a whole bunch of women for not charging John with a goddamn thing. You guys remember Paul Ebert, right? He's the turtley motherfucker we don't <laughs> from like the last him. one. <laughs> we don't like him. So let's not forget, Lorena actually reported the abuse and the rapes, so he should have been on the hook. John should have been on the hook for something. Ebert was described as a quote-unquote man's man. And like many men at the time, he had a hard time looking past what Lorena had done to see what led up to it. Right. He looked at the situation. He saw John as the unequivocal victim. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. We don't need to talk about it anymore. It's whatever. 
Um, he did have scrapes on his face from a couple weeks prior. He was the dependent in the relationship and just had his body part chopped off. Also, apparently, he wasn't capable of lying. This is my favorite. John's defense attorney, Greg Murphy, had psychological testing done, and allegedly it showed that John could not handle the complexity required to tell a lie and then sell it. They tried to make it sound because bro had, like, dyslexia or something, that he was, like, stupid or not capable of doing things, which is infuriating because people who have dyslexia are far from fucking stupid. And it's like, I feel like they were just trying to prey on that a lot, getting ready to go into trials. I think they were just trying to pinpoint that as like, look, he has a disorder of any sort. He can't lie. There's no way he did these things. So that's gotta be it, right? I fucking hate it. Um, They then used this as their argument of why he shouldn't be charged. It wasn't enough to prevent Ebert from caving to public pressure Hmm. because they would have goddamn rioted. They would have eviscerated him. I'm not kidding you. And I don't think he could have held held up to it. No. Um, so Ebert did eventually move forward with a charge of malicious sexual assault. A lot of maliciousness here. Mm. <laughs> I like it. Um, he would go on to enter a plea of not guilty. Um, and John said that he had no idea why he even had to enter a plea because he was innocent. Mm. Obviously. Duh. <laughs> I don't know why there's a question, Brie. Yeah, right. This makes no sense. None at all. It's my dyslexia. That's doing it. I can't. It's I terrible. Can't. And I'm not. No. I'm not making fun. But that's a dumbass reason. Someone I love very dearly is dyslexic. Absolutely. And I've watched firsthand the challenges that they have overcome. Like, fuck you for trying to utilize any sort of learning disability into, like, something like that. I'm Making sure, you an abuser. I'm sure there are people out there who this like this could apply to i just personally don't really buy it because i feel like every single human dyslexia is difficulty reading and like processing in its simplest form yeah okay Mm -hmm. essentially like it was always described to me as like you flip letters around kind of so you like are getting the words right but you you still know right from wrong right so still capable of lying as far any any person i've Hmm, met interesting yeah it's weird it's not you flip the lies and truth (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't even make sense as a defense. No, it doesn't. <gasps> oh my goodness. But we established last time that we did not care for his defense attorney either because of his bad tan I and his bad toupee. <laughs> that toupee, y'all. It, I'm surprised <laughs> that there aren't legs and a like, mouse living if under there. If you don't watch the documentary for its content, watch it just to see a visual of this man. <laughs> okay, so him. And I really want you to see the urologist. I've never seen a man more you know excited. What? I'm going to do my very best to remember. We'll post pictures of it after the episode drops. We'll, like, throughout the week, we'll, set, we'll just post, like, memes of the urologist. Ooh, yes. New project. <laughs> it's funny because we're just thinking of this stuff right now. I know. That's you guys get at. to attend our workshopping also. We were mostly worried about the microphones, so <laughs> everything else will come secondary. Exactly. That was number one. The sound is good. It will all come. It's like Field of Dreams. Build it and they will come. Sound <laughs> yes. good and they will come, right? I've just been listening to Queen Herbie's new music on repeat. Just yes. be like, motivate, motivate, motivate. Got to figure this shit out. It's true. Fingers crossed, guys. We're like halfway through and I'm like so nervous. I'm like, is it working? It work? It's so? true. <laughs> so as of this recording, marital rape is illegal in all 50 states, but it wasn't always like that. Mm. 
And I wanted to take a moment for us to kind of talk about what this is and kind of the trajectory these laws have taken because you'll notice that he wasn't charged for marital rape. A lot of times you could do whatever you wanted in a marriage Mm -hmm. to your wife if you were the husband. Yeah. Isn't that pleasant? Prior to the 1970s. 70s. It was just the literal opposite. Like you could do whatever you wanted. This was known as the exemption to rape, (laughs) which that sentence when I read it pissed me off so fucking bad if i didn't just buy this microphone it would be (laughs) through the wall right now. i literally had to like Mm -hmm. step Mm -hmm. away for a second because i was like that's just infuriating and it wasn't even news to me like i've known this i mean i knew it but i didn't realize it was that recent Mm -hmm. that was not that long ago well yeah especially okay so listen to this according to the 1962 model penal code quote a male who has sexual intercourse with a female not his wife is guilty of rape it specifically mentions not his wife. It's just insane to me. Now, some states began to partially outlaw spousal rape in 1974. Michigan reduced their legal tolerance, but it was only fully criminalized if the couple had filed for divorce and were living apart. <laughs> what? Right, because that makes any fucking no, sense. No, Brie, go on, because there's more. Delaware criminalized rape of a voluntary social companion which could include a spouse, but this charge was considered less serious than other forms of rape. What? Okay. <laughs> 1975 saw some states making moves to wholly outlaw marital rape. <laughs> South Dakota, this well, is another thing that really made me upset. South Dakota? This. South Dakota is often credited as the first state to do so, to completely outlaw it. There was a senator... A badass chick who was able to get the exemption removed she introduced a bill that kind of quietly removed it from the law and it was done it was gone but the next election the state landed back in republican control and one of the first things they did was reinstate the exemption so How there's that fucking rude right Now, Nebraska made moves in 1975 to modernize their law to use the term sexual assault and be more gender gender neutral, which we love, because women are not the only ones that can be sexually assaulted. Absolutely. Now, I say all of this just to put things into perspective for you guys, because by the 90s, marital rape was a crime nationwide, but there were so many states that continued to have different stipulations and ways to differentiate marital versus non-marital rape. Bullshit. And we were already kind of struggling with domestic violence and all of these things kind of being brought to light in the 90s was this really weird time of women empowerment but at the same time it was kind of all of a sod so you know this directly affected the way that marital rape was viewed and treated not just legally but by society at the time virginia law stated that one half of a couple could have been raped but only if the couple did not live together at the time. What really pissed me off about that wording, a one half of a couple could have been raped. Maybe. We'll, we'll figure it out, I guess. Might could have. I guess we'll have to investigate it. Flips hair. The other uh, like caveat to that is if the victim had sustained serious physical injuries during the alleged assault. Hence the charge that John ended up receiving It actually carried a lesser penalty. It was 20 years in prison versus those convicted of rape in Virginia, which carried a life sentence. Mm. 
Leaves a distasteful taste in my mouth. It makes me want to flip fucking tables. That's why I said if I didn't just pay money for this microphone, it'd be hurled <laughs> through that wall. Right? If I didn't it's nice work and so heavy too. But bam. It would make a dent. <laughs> so at any rate, John's trial was set to happen first. Due to the nature of the case, the defense was given the choice of cameras or no cameras. Defense attorney Greg uh, Murphy decided there was no way in hell he was going to let cameras inside the courtroom. That's almost a direct quote from him also, and he kind of chuckled while he said it. I feel like he flipped his toupee, too, from what I recall. Because <laughs> like I remember his Justin hair Bieber almost coming loose on the one side. Mm. Um, so John went on to testify on his own behalf. There are photographs from that. I think that's part of what was included in my... Well, it could be from hers. The fashion was questionable. Everything yeah. looked the same. It was boxy and large. <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking. So anyways, the trial and the conversation around it started with the day before the incident. According to John, he worked until 2.30 p.m. and then went out to hit a few clubs with his buddy. Hmm. He claimed to have only had a couple beers and B-52 shots and that he wasn't drunk when he got home. He was just so tired. He was exhausted. From working so hard at all those 57 jobs in six months it must be hard um he tried to prove this by talking about how he folded his clothes after taking them off that night per john quote drunk people don't fold their clothes end quote i have been drunk and have been very meticulous with all of my things i feel like if anything i'm more meticulous when i'm drunk because i'm like trying really hard to not be drunk just make it look like norm especially if mark goes to bed like before like when we're done if he goes to bed early and i'm still like two glasses of wine later that's <laughs> fine i fold my pants it's yeah. fine <laughs> um so while he was on the stand john could not recall whether he had sex that night mm. hmm that's I find Super that weird. suspicious. Um, an officer would later testify that John had said to him, quote, if he had sex with his wife, then he may have done it while he was asleep, that he did those things very often, end quote, and gross. How is that not also a red flag? To me, that's just, that's not something that should happen. <laughs> like, how are how is you not being conscious and aware of having sex, like, not a red flag? I get like half asleep. Right. Sex is one thing, but like not remembering it whatsoever. Right. Girl, are you all right? Like, okay. <laughs> I think we have established, Susie. Hmm. He is not, not in okay. fact, okay. <laughs> he is not all right. Despite the penis replantation, <laughs> he is not okay. Now, according to a juror named Becky Rinker, they were only allowed to consider the night of the rape and up to five days prior. So when Lorena got up to testify, she was only able to answer questions about specific times and incidents versus telling them the whole story. Which, if you'll remember from part one, that's a big, long story. And a lot of lead up that Mm -hmm. I think is required to understand what was happening. Also, this was the juror I really liked a lot. Mm -hmm. I thought she was... Because you could just see, like, the questionableness on her face. She was like, "Mm, we were only allowed to talk about five days prior. Yeah, she was not happy about it. (gasps) (laughs) Not happy about it at all. Not even remotely. She was, so, of course, Lorena was asked about several of their sexual encounters, one of which was for sex in the stairwell. Another was consensual a couple days later. 
when she was asked why she would later consent to having sex after being assaulted, she explained that she was afraid and that if she said no, he would just do it anyways because four sex excited him and she just didn't want that to happen. One of my favorite like phrases when it comes to this kind of stuff is if it's not an enthusiastic yes, then, then it's, it's a fucking a no. no. It's a hard no. And I think that very much applies here. She also told the court how he would call out other women's names while raping her. Just when you didn't think he could get any more icky. Oh. Oh, just wait. Just wait. (laughs) So, a doctor that examined Lorena the night of the incident said that she didn't appear to have any signs of rape, nor was she, quote-unquote, emotional. Additionally, her panties seemed to have been cut, not torn, in his, quote-unquote, professional (laughs) opinion. The defense hired a forensics expert to further examine the underwear, and during his testimony, he said that they appeared to have been cut a little bit and then torn. It didn't take long for either side to rest their case. Ebert was supposed to be on Lorena's side during this one. Instead, he told the jury during his closing arguments that, quote, you might say these two people deserve each other, end quote. Yeah. And Ebert claimed that there was no conflict of interest mm. by prosecuting both cases. Mm. I think that was They're unequivocally sure false. fuck was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on November 10th, 1993, the jury began their deliberations. And after four hours, they came back with a not guilty verdict. I find that not shocking at all, <sighs> given the evidence they heard. Unfortunately, it's not shocking. A juror spoke about their decision, saying that they agreed with John's lawyer that everything was circumstantial. That, quote, if someone had heard her scream or if there had been some sort of bruising, that would have made more substantive evidence, end Hmm. quote. The best abusers do not leave any bruises. Right. And they do not make any noises. And that's still not, like, widely widely accepted Mm -hmm. today. I can only imagine, you know, 30 years ago. Oh, my God. Like, it, and it's crazy because, like, that's a time period in which you and I grew up. We were young. We were vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. crazy to think that, like, it, it, how little. We've, we've come far, but also not at all. Not really. It's like we go two steps just to get knocked back ten. Isn't that a Paula Abdul song? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's a very common two phrase. Two steps forward and one step back. <laughs> I think Probably. Now that you say it, I'm not going to be able to think of that particular song at all so it's the one with the cartoon cat in it i think oh oh opposites attract yeah. mm-hmm. yep 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 all right i'm glad i figured yeah. that out it would have bothered me for the remainder of our recording i'm pretty sure that was this time period also i wouldn't be surprising either i, I love paul <laughs> same <laughs> um okay where did i leave off i don't even remember uh, there we go yep. okay So it would be two months before these two would see the inside of a courtroom again. And of course, the media was able to broadcast the entirety of Lorena's trial. According to ABCnews.com, it ballooned into wall-to-wall coverage of one of the most epic he-said-she-said cases of its time. Hmm. I mean, if only they would have listened to what she said. Yeah. (laughs) Things may have been different. So, like we've mentioned before, the story was literally everywhere. SNL performed skits based on the event. Stand-up comedians believe this case uh, to be a goldmine of material at their disposal. 
Not only did we see Whoopi Goldberg go in on it, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure Robin Williams also went yeah. in on it. I th- honestly, the list was very long. Were, well, those are some prominent like David Letterman people from my childhood, yeah. like Sister Act. And, okay, so I didn't yeah. know about Robin Williams stand up until I was it's an very adult. Raunchy. Mm-hmm. And Mark was like, "You have to watch this. It's hilarious." And I was like, "You have ruined my entire childhood." That's, that's my issue. I prefer to remember him as like the joy bringer from yeah. like Hook and you know what I mean mm-hmm. like movies growing up that I loved. It, he was right though. The stand up was funny. Oh, Once no. you get past it's like funny. all I'm of just the really like, Robin Williams is saying swear words at me <laughs> and talking about dirty stuff. Like, He's very inappropriate. Know. I'm oh, I miss Robin Williams. I mean, so is Richard Pryor. Yep. And any of those old ones. Any of the greats. George Carlin, any of them. Mm-hmm. good stuff hell yeah um Lorena was also mentioned on David Letterman I'm pretty sure she had a whole top 10 list dedicated to just this I'm pretty sure you're correct Jay um, Leno also mm-hmm. John was actually on Howard Stern for goodness sakes Stern actually held a fundraiser for John's penis mm. there were topless ladies in thong bikinis it was a whole big pageant thing they wanted to raise money all because Stern didn't quote unquote buy this whole thing that Bobbitt was raping, raped by Gallo and stuff, or raping Gallo and stuff. Mm-hmm. I read that backwards. That's okay. He didn't believe that rape was happening here. He said, She's not that great looking. <sighs> I didn't like him before. Now I just want to punch him more in his. It infuriates me because. When we think about the rhetoric that's involved around rape, sexual assault, whatever you want to call it, all of the things, it's disgusting because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you wear a parka with fleece-lined leggings and boots up to your vagina and you get raped, you're still culpable because you still brought it on. If you are just a person existing but you weren't good looking, there's no way you could have been because you're ugly. Like, what the actual fuck? Also, just as a side note. She's not hideous. No. I don't know what the fuck he was talking She's about. She's fucking beautiful, so he can fuck right off with Ugh. that. He's the worst. <laughs> He's the- I, I already didn't care for him, yeah. but this just made me want to crack my knuckles and fight somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at any rate, this whole thing was just kind of a lot. It was really uncomfortable to watch, but the stern broadcast, if you will, raised almost 200 grand. So, obviously, somebody out there felt what they were feeling. Yeah. Which I think just speaks to... From your bunkers, your crazy person bunkers. <laughs> from your, your mom's basements goods. and shit. That too. I think it just really speaks to the kinds of people that this case was kind of... Go- it was two kinds of people. And unfortunately, it was very gender specific. Like, men felt as if she was nothing more than a lying bitch who did something out of anger and frustration and women were very much like no i see this person who is hurting and she did what i wish i could fucking do like there was a girl that said that on in the documentary mm -hmm. it was on some talk show i forget who it was but she was literally like she did what we all want to do and i was like oh my you're not wrong lady okay okay, you're not wrong (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah it's just crazy. It's just insane to me. And it just kind of continues to build. While they were waiting for Lorena's trial to begin, John was reveling in all of the attention. You really wouldn't think that he was a victim in the situation by his behavior. He was filled with joy. <laughs> his own attorney tried sending him away 
to the country because the man just wouldn't stop living his joy. And and that didn't work, hence Howard Stern. And that debacle. Yeah. John continued to go out to bars and meet all the people who supported him. These people were selling t-shirts that said things like love hurts (gasps) and severed parts. There was another one that was like Manassas, a cut above the rest. Because they lived in Manassas, Virginia. Was that the lady with the red wagon? I'm pretty sure it was. That was one of her wares that she was selling. It was like. Because I was like, what? Yeah. So many t-shirt makers. I don't want to be a cut above. No, thank you. (laughs) She like physically. thank you. I cringed. (laughs) It's just crazy. It's just crazy. He was trying to capitalize on his newfound fame, and he was loving every minute of it. Gross. And meanwhile, Lorena became nothing more than a punchline. She was painted as a hot-blooded Latina that had exacted revenge because her husband wanted to leave her. Hmm. It's nonsense. If only that was the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So Lorena's trial was set to begin in January of 1994, She was initially offered a plea bargain beforehand. If she admitted to premeditation, she would only have to serve four months. She took this offer back to her defense team and was informed that if she admitted to committing a felony, she would not be allowed to become an American citizen then, I don't think, or ever. Yeah. It literally took the citizenship off I'm pretty sure that you are not allowed to be convicted of a felony and And still gain citizenship. If you don't recall, this was her American dream. This was her shot at a better life. Like, this was what she wanted. Granted, it has gone so far awry that I don't even know how you'd get it back on track. But (laughs) I get it. Um, So this wasn't even a question for her. She was taking the risk. She moved forward with a plea of not guilty due to irresistible impulse. I think that really speaks to how determined she was to still make a life for herself here. Because if all of this did not disillusion her to of her American dream, like, come on. I don't think anything would stop this woman. (laughs) It was insane. So our buddy Ebert was at bat for the prosecution again and he started out with a bang his opening statement asserted that lorena was temperamental and demanding and that she had acted out of resentment defense attorney lisa kemler her rebuttal started with describing lorena to the jury as a battered woman in the classic sense and that she had acted in self-defense out of irresistible impulse she elaborated on her mental state she talked about the ways in which lorena suffered mentally she said, quote, what we have is Lorena Bobbitt's life juxtaposed against John Wayne Bobbitt's penis. In my mind, it was his penis from which she could not escape. Or in her mind, it was his penis from which she could not escape. At the end of this case, you will come to one conclusion. And that is that a life is more valuable than a penis. As it Suck be. it, Todd. Right? <laughs> Um, There were a decent number of witnesses throughout this trial. Friends of both John's and Lorena's took the stand, in addition to neighbors, family members, basically whoever else. His friends talked about the time when Lorena had scratched up John's face. They said it was that she went crazy, and he just took it. Hmm. I'm sure. Lorena's friends didn't really help her case either. Apparently, they had a discussion once about what they would do if they ever discovered their husband's cheating. And during this conversation, Lorena, I guess, said that she would, in fact, cut off his dick since that would hurt him the most. Hmm. 
The prosecution brought up the fact that Lorena seemed upset about the fact that John never actually satisfied her in bed. Lorena seemed angry and called him selfish right after the cutting took place, which was that police interview mm-hmm. we referred to earlier. Right. Again, that was probably taken out of context. There were co-workers and neighbors called to the stand, many of whom testified to events of abuse taking place. And I did I can't believe I forgot to put it here. I meant to, but there was one instance where Ebert may have actually done some good for Lorena in this case. So apparently, after John's trial, there was a witness that either Ebert wouldn't allow to testify or something happened I couldn't quite understand like the legalese with it I don't know that I think it was a lot of back and forth and they just didn't get the force in Mm -hmm. time for her to be on the stand something like that and so she contacted him after the fact and told him how she literally witnessed abuse on several different occurrences was that the one that was having her nails done by Lorena? i believe so and she physically saw the bruises mm-hmm. on her arms and she talked to her and lorena said i'm very afraid and, yes mm-hmm. yes and you know take it with a grain of salt because obviously we only know what the article told us but apparently when ebert got off the phone he was so pissed that he did not have that knowledge that somebody had unequivocally seen this had had that conversation with her you want the physical evidence here here it was and there it was and i will give him credit that he was very distraught by that and had been heard to have said i would have gotten the son of a bitch or something along those lines so then that witness was in the documentary oh okay and she was like distraught Mm -hmm. that she had not been included because she's like had i been there would it have been different would it have mattered would it have helped right and who knows i mean it very well might have it might not have made a difference it depends you know it was in the hands of the jury at the time i think it might have mattered well you want physical evidence here here you are here's a person who saw it but i'm pretty sure that he made sure that ebert made sure that that was included in this trial that she was able to speak her piece or that her like something happened where she was able to get i believe she took the stand i believe so as well i just i had it written down like because i read the article like after the fact Mm. so and i wanted to add it but i completely forgot she i know she was in the documentary because i watched it and i was like oh my goodness like wiping away tears Mm -hmm. because this woman was so emphatic that she was like if i had been there maybe i could have changed things like it just broke my heart yeah i mean all over again but right of course but i just thought that was really interesting because we are talking a lot of shit on ebert and he deserves it to an extent but i do think that it's necessary to give both sides of stories and things again when you take the oath of the law it's like the oath of being a doctor you know say what you want about turtle man he really seemed to take his oath as a lawyer seriously and he'd practiced law well into his 80s so for like a hundred years it felt like (laughs) literally from what i witnessed (laughs) literally that though So the one night where John was driving dangerously while heading home from the bars came into question. Lorena was asked about it in great detail. She mentioned the high speed, the zigzagging, how John had punched her after she grabbed the wheel to try and ride it. She talked about how John's brother was in the back seat, actually encouraging John's behavior. She went on to describe the abuse that took place when they got home and how she had actually wound up leaving for the night. 
There were many pictures entered in as evidence from several different police reports. People went on to describe seeing bruises all over Lorena's body. There were coworkers of hers that testified to watching him get mad at her while they were all at a bar together. Neighbors talked about hearing all sorts of commotion coming from their apartment constantly. There was just story after story after story after fucking story. Mm-hmm. It did come out during the trial that John would often brag to his friends about how um, she liked to squirm and bleed. Three of his friends testified that he told them that he liked it when they begged for help. And he liked forcing them to have sex, especially, quote, fucking them up the ass, Mm. end quote. That was a really big moment in the trial because I think that was when John himself started to squirm. As he should. You should be sweaty in your newly reattached nether parts, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Now, as I'm sure you guys can imagine, Lorena had a very difficult time getting through parts of her testimony. You know, she was forced to go into details about the ways that John hurt her and how he would threaten to do it again pretty much every time they had sex. She also spoke about their financial situation and how the lack of stability was a humongous stressor in their marriage that he would steal her money and use it to have affairs. She claimed that he didn't try to hide the fact that he was cheating on her constantly. In fact, I feel like he reveled in it. Absolutely. I think this he would rub it in is her face. Fucked. <laughs> like he's not a good man. The defense really honed in on the constant abuse and how it culminated in Lorena just snapping one day. You know, they talked a lot about how she was suffering from PTSD, depression. She had a panic disorder. And that combination, folks, for those of you who might not know. It's a fuck of a cocktail in your brain. personal experience. Not cool, dude. It's fucking exhausting. And living in a heightened state of anxiety and panic because you're afraid is one of the worst feelings. And I would would never wish that feeling on my worst enemy. Been there, done that. It's not great. Right? You get it. So they would not entire, recommend zero no, out of ten. Zero out of ten stars. <laughs> Thumbs down. If you have to pick a depression cocktail, don't pick this don't one. Don't do that. <laughs> Never. I mean, like we said before, folks, it's resulted in some like really funny moments for us because dark humor, <laughs> coping well, mechanisms, it's, all it's that. Another one of those. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Mm-hmm. So let us let us laugh. Absolutely. <laughs> Make a joke of it. Dark humor. That's my shit. That's just how we deal. <laughs> So I thought it was really interesting, you know, the entire strategy for the defense was just to emphasize the fact that Lorena's actions that night were a mix of self-defense and temporary insanity, constituting an irresistible impulse due to the pattern of abuse and rape. I thought it was really interesting that they didn't, It was, I think they worded it like, it wasn't a question of whether or not it happened. It was a question of why and the intent behind it. Nobody questioned that Lorena did it. It was why she did it. No shit. So, you know, the defense went on to explain Lorena was a classic example of a battered wife and that John's last assault on Lorena led to, in quote, acute deterioration of her mental state. So in other words, she became psychotic and she had zero control over her actions in that moment. Because I literally had never heard of irresistible impulse before. Same. And I was like... (laughs) researching it and I was like my brain hurts <laughs> like I might have I feel like I might have heard it in the sense that like because I've heard of battered women syndrome so and if it was clumped into a conversation with that maybe but I never looked into it as its own thing again medical definitions are on par with legalese 
y'all don't make sense. <laughs> At least not to like the common person. Yeah. Because I was like, what? This is what Leisha Miller is for because she explains these things to us. Thank goodness. <laughs> Can we ask her questions? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John, of course, had the right to testify against the person who wounded him. So, of course... He took the stand. Naturally. He unequivocally denied raping and or abusing Lorena ever. John claimed that she was the one who tried to initiate sex that fateful evening, that he turned her down, and then he fell asleep. Remember, he was just so tired. He was exhausted. It was just... Working so hard. He worked until two, and then he just went out drinking all night. It's just hard work Just a few beers and B-52s. I don't know. (laughs) No big deal. No biggie. Um, He testified that he had never been violent towards Lorena, despite many of the witnesses claiming that they had seen otherwise. With their own eyeballs. John's testimony was inconsistent at best. For example, initially, he claimed that he and Lorena didn't even have sex at all that night. But then he later said that Lorena was trying to, but he said no. He then tried to convince the jury that he maybe had sex while sleeping. Remember, he does that a lot. He set that up already, (laughs) that alibi. Um, He then changes his story again for the 49th time and admits to having been aware of sexual activity taking place that night. But again, he says it's consensual. So who cares? At one point during his testimony, John was handed a questionnaire It had stated his admission to hitting his wife, but John claimed that he did not remember filling this questionnaire out. (laughs) Of course you don't. The signature was then pointed out to him while being asked if it was his. John said that it was. That's weird. You know, this is a pattern. This was a pattern like throughout his entire time on the witness stand. John would be asked a question like, for example, do you remember an officer coming to your home on X night? Or is it true that you pled guilty to assault and battery previously to this trial? And his answers were always some form of, I don't remember, or no, that didn't happen, or no, I didn't plead guilty. Round and round it went, and by the end of it, he was rattled. As he should be, because he's lying. Rightfully so. The defense was getting to him, and I just found it really interesting that his lawyer tried so hard to prove how he couldn't possibly lie, yet he practically perjured himself. Like, the entire time he was on the witness stand. Because he just couldn't remember anything. He's lucky that the judge did not... Honestly. ...charge him with perjury. I feel like... Because they literally had actual law, like, certified documents. Yeah. said one thing, and he was like, no. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, is that not your signature? And he was like, well, yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) wait, A does not go to B there. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Homie. Bro. (laughs) So, the trial itself only took eight days, which I find astonishing. It's probably felt like hundreds of years to everybody involved. Honestly, I'm surprised it took that long, if I were to be honest, because I feel like they, a lot of people really wanted to see this be a, a, like, open shut case. Right. A lot of people thought that it was a slam dunk, that Lorraine was just a crazy person, and I think that it took as long as it did, having all of those witnesses and everybody just... To prove that she was not crazy. They they did... I feel like this is one of those instances where a trial went the way it should. Like, each side got to tell their version of the story, and then it was left in the jury's hands. Well, I feel as though under the microscope of the media, mm-hmm. you didn't really have a choice at this point. That's fair. <laughs> you had to show both sides or somebody was going to be all up 
butthurt and up I in mean, arms about there it. There were so know? many like women's like advocate groups that were just pissed this entire time. And I get it. I'm reading, writing, researching after the fact, and I was fucking mad. I'm. I can only imagine. I'm still mad. <laughs> right. Can only just imagine living through it. it. Um, so the, the trial itself took eight days. The jury only took seven hours to deliberate. They returned to the courtroom and delivered a verdict of not guilty by reason of temporary insanity, which sort of that outcome we wanted here. Right. They found that Lorena had the criteria for an NGRI defense. That not she, guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. For, I had to I had to Google it, so I thought maybe you guys would want to know she, too experienced volitional insanity which is where an individual who suffers from a disease of the mind is rendered incapable of voluntary conduct even where he or she knows the nature and wrongness of his or her act again medical people She's why like, do you have to write it like that right Ooh. therefore Lorena was not responsible for her actions. The Cliff Notes version. Right. <laughs> she did, however, receive a sentence of a 45-day evaluation period at a state hospital, which she said in the documentary shocked her. Yeah. She thought, like, well, in that moment I was crazy, but I'm not crazy. I don't need this. I want to go It was home. probably for the better, wanna... though. For sure. She needed, like, therapy and help. Unpack the trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, after that 45-day evaluation period, barring any other complications, she would be free to live her life. Um, in 1995, Lorena and John were finally, officially, legally divorced. Took long enough. Unfortunately for Lorena, her nightmare was not quite over. And the reason being... Is because John went on to basically become like a D-list celebrity after the trial. <sighs> he tried to write out his notoriety like crazy. He tried to start a musical career. Didn't go well. That did not pan out for him. So he turned to the adult film industry. Ooh, dirty man. He went on to appear in two films. You guys, <laughs> catch these names. I literally was typing it in in my research and I was like, <laughs> The first one was called John Wayne Bobbitt Uncut. It's the second one that gets me, though, Brie. Franken-penis. <laughs> A.K.A. John Wayne Bobbitt's Franken-penis. Specifically his Franken-penis. Well, there's not, hopefully there's not a lot of those out there. Oh, no. How many are there? Well, I mean, if we're, if we're talking strictly because of this kind of scenario, hopefully that number is Small. not a lot. Because this is a lot of anger and a lot of things to unpack here so i did some research on some other cases involving battered women pushed Mm -hmm. to the point of something like this yeah there's a lot of them (laughs) it's it's really astonishing you know i've managed to refrain from saying it this entire time but it's bound to come up like it's crazy to me how much women and things that happen where women are taking back control of their lives or their environments or their situations or whatever those questions those cases don't get talked about those incidents don't get talked about because i was doing my research and i was like cases like lorena and john bobbitt but there a man, were a lot but then a man loses his penis and everybody loses their damn minds like it's just an, it's just i think it really is like there were a lot of cases though where the girls were like whoops, as they should chopped it right off you don't deserve to have one if, you if you're going to use it, to use it nice. for evil, you got to use it <laughs> right? for good. Right. 
<laughs> I like that. Come on, guys. Put that on a t-shirt. Don't tempt me. Nah. <laughs> I am working on rebranding the art shop, so maybe that'll be like one of my first new designs. <laughs> be like that lady outside the courtroom. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, all this did, this like porn and shit, it just perpetuated the jokes that were made at Lorena's expense. And it wasn't until very recently that a lot of society even gave her story a deeper look. Over the years, John himself has just been living his best damn life, it seems. He was making cheesy appearances where and when he could in between getting arrested for hitting a girlfriend, violating parole. He's been living in Vegas since 1997, working various jobs, just kind of existing. The last thing we saw was... I think he was injured in a car accident in Buffalo, yeah. his hometown, like mm-hmm. a year ago. Or maybe... Well, I think it was... A year or two ago. A year or so before the documentary, which I think that was 2020, wasn't it? Or did that maybe. happen after the doc? I can't quite remember. It was all right around the same time. Everything it kind of blurred in, together. It was into the 2020s, I know yeah. that. He did have a serious car accident. He fractured his back or something. He's okay, though. It's fine. He's alive and has a penis, so he's doing great. He's living his best life. Mm-hmm. Lorena, on the other hand, has become an advocate for women who suffered like she did. Good for her. She began going by her maiden name, Gallo, shortly after the trial, but she remained living in Virginia. She was like, they're not going to scare me out of my fucking home. Over the years, she had been speaking about her experiences while still working at a beauty salon, and she was also working as a real estate admin assistant. She eventually meets her now husband and father of her daughter, Dave Bellinger. They're in a very happy, healthy Romance, fantastic for her. In 2008, Lorena founded Lorena's Red Wagon. Now, this is an organization that seeks to prevent domestic violence through family-oriented activities. Lorena said, quote, that as an immigrant woman, she, I was often too scared to call the police for help. My abusive husband has always threatened that he could have the police detain me and have me deported back to my country, end quote. And she wanted to be sure that she was able to help others not feel stuck the way that she did. You go, girl. Hell yes. yeah. I love it. Um, in May of 2009, John and Lorena actually see each other in person for the first time since their divorce. John, even though he was not guilty of it, apologized for his treatment of her and told her that he still loved her. He from the documentary has actively been sending her cards and flowers since their divorce basically he has somehow always found her just like he promised he would (laughs) and i read in one of the articles that you had linked in your research that he was like actively trying to get back together Mm -hmm. together with her like randomly over the years Mm -mm. the audacity of this man that's abusers dude like this literally. is like literally their mo if you ever need a checklist of things to look out for just Unbought pin it. that up on your wall <laughs> um lorena was approached by filmmaker joshua rofe and executive producer jordan peel about making a documentary the result of that is currently available on amazon prime it is a four-part series that takes you through the story in a way that really hasn't been done before i really I don't want to say I enjoyed it, but it was very eye-opening. I saw a lot of things that I had not heard before it was from a, this narrative. It was a very well put, put together, together. Mm-hmm. documentary. Like, look, we're seeing it all over the place now. We are looking back at things like Lorena Bobbitt, Monica Lewinsky, you know, cases where 
the woman in the situation got a really bad rep for things that they may not have actually been in control of. Or... The Clarence Thomas investigation, yep. who's still a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, cool. Yeah. Had to throw that one in there while I was thinking about it's it. Just, it's just crazy. So now we're kind of seeing a resurgence of these stories being told. And people are looking, you know, we've said it in several cases. What would it be like if some of those cases were tried now through the lens of society post Me Too movement? You know, and I think this is a really good example of one of those cases that maybe people are finally ready to hear what happened. And now she is much more comfortable and confident and can tell her story in a way that she wasn't able to before. Well, again, like we like we have said a thousand times, you never really know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. The value of hindsight is enormous. It lets us look back on things and take a whole different perspective from what what they may have had in the moment. But like the people outside of the courthouse, y'all are gross. Yeah, that was gross. gross. Mm -hmm. I was like, ew. I to get caught up in the hype of something like that is just so icky to me I agree and again like real rich coming from us right like here we are trying to make this like a thing for ourselves but that's different ours is factual we're not printing a cut above t-shirts right or anything and selling them out of our wagon outside of the trial well and I think that's the difference right is that they were trying to be shocking and they were trying to capitalize on something and you and I are trying to educate ourselves and and we are trying to educate everybody else around with us for sure we have a very interesting perspective I think on a lot of things and hopefully you guys listening can sense the intention that we have the respect that we have and the passion that we have for this new project of ours. And on that note, before we all everybody, (laughs) this is where we are going to end things for today. So I would just like to thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We always appreciate your time and your support. you. You know, make sure you guys are checking out the podcast on social media. Every Friday we post a sneak peek of what case and cocktail we'll be covering We make sure to give you guys the ingredient list, so if you want to follow along with the recipe and sip the same cocktail as us while you listen, or at any given moment, you'll know what you need ahead of time. We also post a how-to video and the full recipe once the episode has dropped. That's every Sunday. Um, You can catch us on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. On Twitter, you can find us at Crime Spirits Pod. If you want to follow us personally, we're on Instagram. I am at Suze, not Susan. And I am at Brie, B-R-E-E underscore, not the cheese. So before we go, I kind (gasps) of want to... This is a fun new thing. (laughs) I want to try something new. So our friends over at the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. Hey, y'all. They do this really cool thing. And if you guys haven't checked them out yet please go do it because they have some really interesting cases and interesting perspectives with the cases. So they do this really cool thing at the end of every episode. They do a chaser at the end and they just kind of talk about something fun and random and it kind of just helps you shake off like any heebie-jeebies you might have from a case or like in our case like this is a some this story kind of makes us sad so you know we kind of walk out of my office like Huh. Wah, wah. Thank God for the pizza we're going to have after this. So I really liked this idea and I've been trying to think of something that we could maybe do without just completely stealing their genius. And then this morning it hit me. 
I'm going for dad jokes. Yes. <laughs> so my friend Alex used to write a new one every day on her whiteboard when we worked together at the pharmacy. And her and I had a long discussion for the first time in a while last night. And it kind of just inspired me. So... I think I'm going to tell Sue's a dad joke Ooh, yes, <laughs> at the girl. end of every episode. And it might be lame, and that's fine, too, because that's part of the point. I just kind of want to, like... My friend Mike tells me them all the time at work. My friend Doesn't Bud he listen? also tells me... Yeah, hey, Mike. Yeah, this hey, is girl, for hey. you guys. <laughs> um, my friend Bud also tells me them all the time. They're just... both dads, so I'm like... I love it. <laughs> I'll, give it I'll give it to you this time, guys. So I'm going to find a lame or cool joke to tell Sue. It's not going to be part of the script. I literally wrote it on a little piece of paper. So I, I was not allowed to see it. No, I had to, like, <laughs> She literally it. ripped it off the pad and balled it up before I could see it. So are you ready? I am. I'm so ready. What do you call an angry carrot? Oh, no. A what? steamed veggie. <laughs> Nerd alert. I was dying. Steamed veggie. So take that with you guys as you leave us today. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, guys. We really appreciate you. Make sure that you're taking care of yourselves. Be sure to drink a glass of water, eat some food. We love you. We appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>